I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to Censored, the podcast that looks for literary smut in perfectly ordinary books. I'm Aoife Vrtnach, a historian reading to avoid researching. I'm on Twitter at CensoredPod if you want to say hi or suggest rude books for future episodes. If you're able to support the show, search CensoredPod on Patreon. Or just tell a friend to listen. This episode's book is There Were No Windows by Nora Holt, which was published in 1944. I've been looking forward to talking about Holt for a while now, because her career tells us a lot about censorship in Ireland. Eight of her works were banned, which makes her the most banned Irish woman author. But you've probably never heard of her. I certainly hadn't until I started researching censorship. For context, Edna O'Brien suffered five bans, but is very famous for being banned. Of course, O'Brien spoke out frequently against the censorship, giving interviews pointing out the censor's misogyny and narrow-mindedness. Nora Holt, like most authors, said nothing when her work was banned. She just kept writing. Between 1928 and 1977, she published 25 novels and four short story collections. In her own time, Holt was well-regarded and popular, but she never became part of the canon of books you should read, and now it's very difficult to get her work. I chose There Were No Windows because I could get a copy for a reasonable price. It was impossible to source her banned books through the Irish Library system. They're only available in research libraries. Only dedicated researchers with a lot of time are getting to read Holt's banned books. This is a real shame. She's very good. There Were No Windows is a moving, beautifully crafted work about dementia, celebrity, sexuality, class, war, and the Anglo-Irish relationship. That's a long list, and I could go on, but it's true, it's a novel you can read many ways. But the drink of choice to accompany Holt would have to be whiskey, savoured and sipped as a great luxury. Food and drink is at the heart of the novel. It's set in London during the Blitz and rationing is often discussed. But the real reason booze is rarely served in the main character's household is because Claire Temple has dementia. The cook, an Irish woman called Kathleen, is also her carer, 
running the house and seeing to the elderly lady's every need. Kathleen is reluctant to serve drink in case Claire becomes totally drunk, but she uses it to bribe and cajole the old woman. Although Claire may have lost her appetite for food, she has an endless capacity for drink. But if I think too much about the politics of food in this book, I may never enjoy whiskey again because the storyline is just heartbreaking. By now you're thinking, what in the name of all that's holy could be rude about such a book? An elderly lady's slow, lonely journey into dementia seems unpromising fare for smut or sex. But the censors had Nora Holt in their sights since 1937 when they first banned her work. A member of the censorship board told the Senate in 1942 that one of her books was a dreadful case. He refused to go into detail about it because it was too horrible and revolting. There's no doubt the censors were well aware of Holt. To be honest, only careful reading would have revealed the bannable content in this book. I'm convinced they read There Were No Windows quite closely. As you read the book, it slowly emerges that the central character, Claire Temple, did not live a conventional life. When dining with her staff in the kitchen, she openly talks about her past affairs, how she met her lover in a flat and cooked him cheese omelettes. Then she casually mentions her husband's affairs by saying, quote, he had started to make love to one of my best friends, unquote. So by page 37, Holt gently, without any drama or fuss, introduced extramarital sex and infidelity. Even worse, it's the lady of the house casually sharing details of her private life with her servants, the women she employed to cook and clean for her. This is a topsy-turvy world, as Claire calls it on page 5, where the employer makes her own bed and is enthralled to her employees. Then the kitchen gossip gets really salacious. Mrs White, the washerwoman, shares her suspicions with Kathleen about her butcher and his power over rations. And I'll read this out from page 39 to 40. Are you satisfied with your butcher? Kathleen asked Mrs White, who withdrew a fascinated gaze. Not altogether. He's better than some, but he favours. There's no doubt he favours. There's a woman I know gets liver, and the best calf liver at that from him regular, but oh no, he never has any for me. You should get him to favour you, said Kathleen. Mrs White shook her head and her lips drew together. I know too much about him, she said. After a moment's hesitation, she added, I know why he favours, see? Why does he? Mrs White sat forward, suddenly exhibiting unexpected dramatic talent. They say there's hardly a woman that's registered with him that doesn't go with him, she hissed across the table. Why? Is he that good looking? It's not that, but that's how they get an extra bit of meat or something fancy like liver, see? Now that's a bit of juicy, smutty gossip. Meat for meat, I suppose. Sexual impropriety offended past Irish censors, but I think British people today who bang on about the Blitz spirit would hate this version of the home front. Certainly brings a whole new meaning to stiff upper lip. Kathleen is fairly incredulous herself, and I'll read out her response. And do you believe it? Believe what? 
that it's true that's what they do it for. More likely that it's a packet of cigarettes or a quarter of tea slipped across. I've seen a woman pass half a crown myself and there was a man sacked over in Queensway for giving one woman more rations than she should have coming to her. The manager came out and caught him in the act, you know. But even in this country, I wouldn't believe. I just love Kathleen's refusal to believe that such immorality was possible even in this country. Like many Irish people in the 40s, she thought that the Brits were a bit loose. The censorship regime in Ireland hoped to keep British filth out and it obviously did a good job if Kathleen can't even imagine trading sex for rations. Her disbelief is so strong that Mrs White insists there was a witness to this carry-on that the butcher was spotted. And this is really well written. The way Holt puts it together is just so subtle. Well, my friend, she was taking a shortcut back up an alleyway, sort of, that isn't used much. I wouldn't go by it myself at night. Well, going on ahead, do you see, and not having a torch, see, she walks smash into a pile of sandbags. Let's have the torch, duck, she calls to me, and I switch on and I see figures. I can't make out who, but she sees. Oh yes, she sees. What? Her butcher, and my butcher too, and the butcher for that matter of most of us round our way, and she sees who's with him too. Who? That woman that I was telling you of. Er that's living with a man that's not her husband, and has children by him too. And they were... They were, right there, trusting to the dark, of course, not to be seen. Thrusting in the dark, more like. It stands to reason that blackouts facilitated more sex in public places, people being people. Kathleen is outraged by the whole scenario, and refuses to believe it, saying, You're getting it all wrong, and should think shame of yourself for thinking such badness. I want to turn to Kathleen now, because I think she's fascinating. Anyone who reads Molly Keane will recognise this type of Irish servant. Strong, good-looking, vigorous, tough-minded, alarmingly capable. Holt doesn't have Molly Keane's cynical eye, but she is alive to the power dynamics of the employer-servant relationship. While Kathleen is not an old retainer who knows all Claire's secrets, she has the old lady almost completely at her mercy. Claire knows this, but her awareness of her situation comes and goes with her memory. Holt shows how a person with dementia has flashes of insight in the midst of the confusion. But Kathleen is not very sympathetic of Claire Temple's plight. She firmly believes that Claire is sex-mad. When Mrs. White wonders why Claire always asks her about her husband, who is deceased, Kathleen has a ready answer. And this is from page 49. It's the badness that's in her, that's why, answered Kathleen decisively. She wants to talk about men, that's all. She wants to talk about her own husband. Though she was never married to him, that's what I've heard, and that's what she admitted to me more than once. In a sort of way. Rambling on, she was. It's interesting that it's an Irish voice that tells us about Claire Temple's gracious social and sexual transgression. That she lived with a man while pretending to be married to him. She had lived in sin. 
Obviously, the censors would ban a book whose central character had behaved so badly. Kathleen firmly believes that manifestations of Claire's dementia are formed by her past sexual sins. And this is Kathleen again from page 51. Did you hear the barefaced way she boasted to you about cooking for a lover, a man she was living with in a little flat unbeknownst to anyone? She doesn't mind who knows about her wickedness. Those are the two men she loses no chance of talking about. The one she had before she pretended she was married, and then the one she pretended she was married to, who ran off and left her for another woman. Mrs. White thinks it's a sad story, but Kathleen has no pity at all, and she continues, All her own fault. What do you expect? And she carrying on with men that were married. Both of them were married, you know. And the badness of her mind continues to this very day, as you see for yourself when she's about 80 years of age. The young servant condemns her old employer's morality and sees her dementia partly as a result of her wickedness or badness. Sexual immorality is not simply misbehaviour, but comes from a deep flaw in a person. Now, in Kathleen's defence, Holt makes it clear how hard it is to care for someone with dementia. Claire is very active. She leaves the house without her purse, follows Kathleen around and accuses her of theft or rudeness. You can't help feeling sorry for servants who have to do all the work in the days before labour-saving devices. When an absent-minded Claire spills her tea or drops toast on the carpet, there's a lot of work involved to clean that up. Kathleen is not patient enough to deal with the situation and she dislikes Claire Temple too much to be nice to her. For me, the most amazing part of the narrative is how finely balanced your sympathy for Claire is. You can't help but feel sorry for her, left alone in a house with no visitors, no friends or family to care for her. But she's also a horrible old snob. And this from page 82 shows how hypocritical Claire could be. Of course, the whole point of Cook's fiery and unsuitable behaviour was that she wanted to be left alone with her lover. All right, she was no spoiled sport, no stern moralist. At the same time, and considering that she paid Cook to be a cook, and not spend her evenings committing fornication or adultery, for most probably her soldier Swain was a married man, it was most decidedly a breach of manners. She must tell her that this evening must be an isolated occasion of sin. After all, the sins of the lower classes could never attain to romance. There had never been a single romance in history which concerned people who had been humbly born. Cheeky old wagon. I can't believe she talks about fornication and adultery. Her own affairs were dramatic, passionate, wonderful things, but Kathleen's romance isn't worth noting. For all her own freedoms... Claire refuses to extend the same sympathy to those lower on the social scale. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. One of the more surprising things I found out about the Clare Temple character was that Hunt modelled her very closely on a real person called Violet Hunt. She was a socialite and writer who lived from 1862 to 1942. The position of women changed dramatically in her lifetime and Hunt took advantage of that. She had a number of scandalous affairs with married men, but her reputation did not prevent her hosting literary salons or participating in the suffragette movement. She was witty, attractive and independent. By 1908 she was considered one of the leading women authors in England. She was even a victim of censorship. Her best-known book was banned from Booth's circulating library for being improper. She had plenty of offers of marriage in her 20s, but didn't want to settle down into cosy domesticity. She sounds like a liberated woman having a great time. For such an unconventional woman, her behaviour during her last great relationship was kind of strange. Hunt lived with novelist Ford Maddox Ford from 1909 to 1915. He was a married man, like her previous lovers. She was desperate to get married, but he couldn't get a divorce. In an act of pure desperation she published a book under her assumed married name and his actual wife sued her for libel. Naturally, Hunt lost and the trial irreparably damaged her relationship with Ford. Although they split up, she continued to use his name on her personal stationery in the 1920s and 30s. In Holt's book, Violet Hunt became Mrs. Clare Temple, a non-married woman living as a widow, even though she was never a missus. There's one part of Hunt's story that Holt did not use. Hunt was diagnosed with incurable syphilis in 1905. Her mental decline in old age was exacerbated by the disease. I wonder if the badness or wickedness that Kathleen talks about was an oblique way of referencing this. I honestly don't know if Holt knew about the syphilis, but she did correspond with Hunt before her death. That Holt knew the subject of this novel personally makes it particularly sad. The Clare Temple character is both admirable and annoying, as Violet Hunt surely was. Hunt is now mostly remembered as an inspiration for characters in her lover's work, and her own work is mostly forgotten. Her story shows a woman finally succumbing to her Victorian morals after years of rebelling against them. And the theme of women's status runs throughout Holt's book. Claire had been involved in suffrage organisations, but mostly for the parties. She wasn't a committed political radical. 
she drew her self-worth from her affairs and her attractiveness to men. Now that she was old and alone, that consolation no longer existed. And this, from page 26, is a pretty powerful indictment of the whole status structure that confined women to certain roles. That was what she would like to ask God, if there were such a person. Why did women spend years learning to be women, becoming adept in flattery and charm? And then for years one was an old woman with white hair and hollow neck whom men did not desire to love. Well, she had held them still by conversation and by always having a good cook. But then another trick had been played against her. Her memory had gone astray, had cantered uphill and down dale, with the result that one was no longer very amusing. One was, in fact, a bore. How now, God? Was that altogether fair? God, that's so sharp. Like lots of women, Claire needed the adoration of men to give herself substance. She flirted to live. Her friends who dine occasionally compare her past witty self to, quote, a drooling, not-too-clean, semi-deranged old woman, unquote. That description is from page 93, and it actually shocked me, because Holt writes so delicately that the truth of Claire's state isn't brutally obvious until then. There is such sympathy and care in Holt's depiction of Claire, the dementia never really obscures her personality. At times it is a depressing read. In the end, a man, a male doctor, decides Claire's fate. Dr. Fairfax dominates the end of the book. His viewpoint adjudicates between Kathleen and Claire's claims of ill usage. I found his sudden appearance kind of odd. He's just parachuted into this claustrophobic domestic drama and sets about resolving it. He administers a sedative to Claire and persuades Kathleen to stay on, if the old lady can be kept to the bed. This entails more drugs. It seems jarring to lose Claire's point of view in this final part of the book. I missed her, even though she was perplexing, maddening and hard to understand. And I resented Dr. Fairfax for some reason. It's such a complex book that I cannot really explain my emotional responses to it. I can see why the Irish censor banned it. Claire was unrepentant about her scandalous life, but I do think it was a crying shame it wasn't widely read. Holt writes so sensitively about dementia from the perspective of the sufferer and those outside her. And her Kathleen-Claire relationship can be read as an upstairs-downstairs narrative or as an analysis of Anglo-Irish cultural relations. I've chosen to focus on the sex and morality parts, but Holt packs a lot into this book. It really is worth reading. I can't say it's a cheerful read. You might need to have some fluff lined up for afterwards. Holt has been rediscovered in recent years, thanks to Sinead Gleeson, Lucy Kennedy and Laura King for writing about her. Without their work, I wouldn't have found much information on Holt at all. Like many women artists, her work has become obscure and difficult to find. I'm sure censorship played a part in her fall from grace, because if books are not available, it's easier to forget about them. Nora Holt wanted to explore family life, marriage and relationships without reference to moral codes or religion, 
and that was just too much for the Irish censors, who found her too horrible and revolting. She kept going, though. Kathleen would probably have said it was because of the wickedness that was in her. Now it's time to document the wickedness in censorship bingo. Firstly, breasts. No, not at all. I'm going to generalise here, but from the books I've read so far, women authors are not interested in breasts half as much as men are. Bestiality? No, definitely not. Sex work? Well, the sex for liver story may not indicate professional sex work, but trading sex for a commodity is close enough, so I think I'll tick that one. Racism. This is an interesting square. I do think the censor would have been horrified when Claire Temple calls Kathleen an Irish slut on page 24. Foreignness actually weaves throughout the narrative. Mrs. White claims all them foreigners is leading to sexual immorality, while a character's Jewishness is carefully dissected. So I think I will tick this box. And then drugs. In spite of the overuse of sedatives, I don't think I can tick this one. It's presented and would have been read as medical treatment. Politics. No, not explicitly. I would argue there is a lot about Irishness and Britishness, but this is not couched in a political framework. Holt's own parents were Irish, but she mostly grew up in England. As an adult, she lived in and out of Ireland, so she was familiar with hybrid, hyphenated, complicated identities. I think really this comes more under the racism heading. Swearing. No, not a curse word passes the character's lips. They're all very genteel. And infidelity. Yes, all of Claire's past lovers were unfaithful to their wives. The emotional or moral fallout from that doesn't bother her in the least. Crime. Well, I suppose the sex for meat breaks rationing regulations, so I'll tick that one. Genitalia. No, definitely not. Abortion. No way. Orgies. God, no. The sex is all about love and romance rather than libertine excess. Sexual assault. No, definitely not. Extramarital pregnancy. Actually, the woman shagging her butcher for better cuts of meat has children by a man she's not married to, so I can tick that. I feel like that scene in the kitchen would be a social media thread today where every possible sin gathers around this one bad woman. It feels very gossipy with a tinge of hysteria and self-righteousness. Masturbation? No. Sex toys? Definitely not. Feminism? Yes, I would say so. But it's not because of that one appearance of women's suffrage. The whole premise of Claire's story is in the unequal and unjust strictures placed on women in marriage. You could also read it as an exploration of that hackneyed question, can a woman have it all? Divorce. Funnily enough, it's never mentioned. None of the men Claire sleeps with get divorced. Contraception. Nope. Menstruation. No way. Blasphemy. I hadn't thought about it seriously, but the characters are pretty sceptical about God, divine will or punishment. Claire questions whether God even exists. That sort of thing would give Irish censors a hernia. Even Kathleen is remarkably a-religious. 
She never uses typically idiomatic Irish phrases that invoke God or Mary. So I think I can tick blasphemy. Oral sex, no. Graphic violence, no, nothing. Queer content. There is one reference to lesbians on page 144. Hilariously, Kathleen doesn't know what the word means. But the figure of Oscar Wilde flits through the pages too. Oscar after his trial and imprisonment, when he was living in exile on the continent. Wilde had proposed to Violet Hunt, the model for Claire, when she was young. Claire occasionally reminisces about poor Oscar and a chance meeting she had with him in France. He moved to greet her, but she cut him dead, and it's clear her betrayal haunts her. Holt chooses to foreground Oscar Wilde as a wronged man rather than a scandalous sinner, a radical choice in Irish literary contexts, but also brave in 1940s Britain. So I think I'll take queer content. There Were No Windows scores 8 out of 25 in censorship bingo, a much higher score than I was expecting. It is not rude at all, or smutty, or sweary, or even salacious. But Holt is exploring the place of sex in marriage and outside it. Her narrative refuses to judge anyone for their bodily passions, be they Claire Temple or Oscar Wilde. But to be honest, on my first reading, all I could see was a story of a fading celebrity suffering from memory loss and loneliness. The readers of Ireland lost out when this was banned. It's a rich, complex and moving book. Dementia isn't often explored in literature. This was a rare story well told. And we should all read it. The next book in the series moves from the tragedy of old age to the turbulence of youth. I'm tackling J.D. Salinger's The Catcher in the Rye, a famous tale of teenage boy angst. It's always been controversial and was one of the most censored books in the American public school system. Here's hoping it'll be full of filth, proper filth, openly discussed so I won't have to work too hard. Till then, embrace the badness that's in you. It might be your best quality. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.